0: Well, good morning, everyone, and a Happy New Year to y'all. In a fortnight's time, of course, the clocks change, and as we charge into summer, autumn, and next winter. But today is the first anniversary of the last time we met in Claremont, in person, in this building for morning worship. And a lot has changed in that year. Many folks have lost loved ones, sometimes directly from COVID, arguably, in some cases, indirectly from COVID. People have lost jobs and livelihoods and businesses have folded. There's been a lot of loss. Nobody, Christian or otherwise, has been unaffected by the changes and by the pandemic in the last year. Today's topic in our Putting on Habits focus group prayer series is prayer. So here's a question. How has your pandemic prayer life been going? Not every day you're asked that. But it's an important question, nevertheless. Think back, if you can, to this time last year. How was your pre-pandemic prayer life? Did you have a prayer habit back then? And if so, has it developed and deepened? Or perhaps it's weakened, and you find yourself really struggling, particularly as we can't meet in person with each other to pray and worship together. The Lord's Prayer, although it can provide a framework for personal prayer, It's a prayer we are used to praying as we meet together as the church family. Certainly, technology can allow some folks to meet online, but nobody would ever suggest that that is a satisfying substitute for meeting together in person. A problem, too, with technology is that you can very easily, particularly in lockdown, be constantly switched on to all sorts of Zoom meetings, team meetings, social media, etc., which can sometimes become draining and life sapping. And any notion of be still and know that I am God goes completely out the window. And our Father doesn't get much of a look in. In developing a personal prayer habit, each of us must decisively and deliberately carve out a space each day to pray. And depending on your particular circumstances, what time you choose and where will vary. I live in my own, so finding a space to pray isn't a problem, which isn't the same as saying it always happens. In our focus group, as in every group, there are larks and owls and folks somewhere in between. As I get a wee bit older, I'm becoming more of a lark than the owl I once was. I was up bright and early at 10 sharp. I can have laid back lark. The important point is not when you pray, where you pray, but that you do pray. The importance of prayer to Jesus isn't in doubt. All the gospel writers note Jesus praying, arguably look more so than the others. Some examples include that Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. After Jesus healed a man with leprosy, we read, yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him, and he healed them of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and prayed. Jesus particularly prayed, perhaps with greater intensity, before making major decisions. One of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, and at key moments in Jesus' mission, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Note that. that. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. This wasn't just an occasional thing, although the prayer session that comes next is particularly intense. On reaching that place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not what my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him, And strengthened them. And being in anguish, she prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Note that in prayer Jesus is strengthened in prayer. When he rose from prayer and went back to disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Note that. The disciples have had enough. They've gone for a kip. They can't take much more of all the stuff that's gone on. And yet Jesus says to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. I don't know about you, but if things haven't gone particularly great for me, I'm inclined to kind of curl up into myself and try and shut everything out. But that's not what Jesus urges us to do. Prayer clearly isn't always a walk in the park. And as followers of Christ, we are in a spiritual battle, something which I readily confess I'm apt to forget and also can struggle to get my head round. Just before this prayer time in Gethsemane, Jesus assures Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, note that, all of you, as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is praying for the disciples. And He prays that they strengthen each other. And of course, in John 17, he prays for all the disciples and indeed for you and I, for all his disciples that come after him. Philip Yancey, in his book, Prayer, Does It Make a Difference?, which I'm currently reading again, writes... After surveying Jesus' practice of prayer, I realize that his example does answer one important question about prayer. Does it matter? When doubts creep in, and I wonder whether prayer is a sanctified forum of talking to myself. I remind myself that the Son of God who has spoken worlds into being and sustains all that exists felt a compelling need to pray. He prayed as if it made a difference, as if time devoted to prayer mattered every bit as much as the time he devoted to caring for people. A physician friend of mine who learned I was investigating prayer told me I would have to start with three rather large assumptions. One, God exists. Two, God is capable of hearing our prayers. And three, God cares about our prayers. None of these three can be proved or disproved, he said. They must either be believed or disbelieved. He's right, of course, although for me, the example of Jesus offers strong evidence in favour of that belief. To discount prayer, to conclude that it doesn't matter, means to view Jesus as deluded. In keeping with his race, Jesus truly believed that prayer could change things. Romans of the time prayed to their gods as one would finger a good luck charm not really expecting much. The skeptical Greeks derided prayer, their playwrights weaving foolish, ridiculous, even obscene prayers into their plays to provoke the audience to uproarious laughter. Only the stubborn Jews, despite their tragic history of unanswered prayers, contended that a supreme and loving God ruled the earth, listened to their prayers, and would someday respond. Jesus claimed to be part of that response, the fulfillment of the Jewish longing for Messiah. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, he once said, and went about exhibiting the will of the Father by feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and liberating the captives. At the heart of today's passage in Luke 11 is the nature of God. Who is this God we should get into the habit of praying to? By using the word Father, Jesus is saying a whole lot more about the nature of God. In Galatians 4, 6, 7, Paul writes, "'Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child, and since you are his child, God also made you an heir. Again in Romans eight fifteen, the spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. William Barclay notes, in Hebrew, the name means the whole character of the person as it is revealed and known to us. Psalm 910 says, those who know your name put their trust in you. This means far more than knowing that God's name is Yahweh. It means that those who know the whole character and mind and heart of God will gladly put their trust in him. I'm sure, when you hear my name, you think, great guy, wonderful guy, a saint, a genius, and so modest. One of the standout praise psalms, Psalm 136, urges us, assures us, encourages us, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. In all 26 verses, as various aspects of God's greatness and faithfulness through thick and thin, particularly at this point to Israel, we are assured His love endures forever. The parable in Luke 11 of the friend who goes to another friend and batters on his door is designed to emphasize both God's nature and the nature of our prayers." Now, the neighbour isn't shouting and bawling and battering on the door at midnight to tell his pal Tesco are doing a buy-one-get-one-free offer on multi-pack bags of crisps. But from our perspective, making this kind of fuss for the sake of three loaves seems a bit over the top. The particular context and culture however, tell a different story. It was a serious faux pas, social faux pas, to fail to provide hospitality to visitors no matter what time of day they turned up at your door. We can speculate that the visitors had either missed the express bus and had to get a 201 or were trying to avoid travelling in the heat of the day. House doors were left open all day and fresh daily bread was made to supply the needs of the household for that day with perhaps a little left over. A shut door was a clear sign that the family had retired for the night. The householder's excuse that he couldn't get up because the door was already locked and getting up would disturb the rest of the household wouldn't wash. He would ultimately get up because of the persistent shouting and door knocking, i.e. shameless audacity, to avoid the inevitable later public scandal when word got round the village. Kenneth Bailey notes a Middle Eastern audience would have laughed out loud at this lame excuse. Can you imagine such a neighbour, Jesus is saying? Certainly not. No one in my village would act so rudely. If he did, the entire village would know about it by morning. This is no trivial request. The host, whose cupboards are bare, needs to get supplies so that he can welcome and feed his tired, hungry visitors. His reputation's at stake, too. There is an urgency. There's an urgent need to be met, and boy, he's going to ask and seek and knock for all he's worth until that need is satisfied. His neighbour will respond out of duty to save his reputation and respectability. A joyful giver he is not. Now, here we see the contrast between a crotchety, sleep-deprived neighbour and our Father God. God doesn't require our pester poor to give us what we need. After all, in Christ we are his children. Yet here's the point the needy neighbour recognized his need and knew what he had to do to have that need met, so that in turn he could serve and feed his visitors. But very often, we don't recognize either our need of God or the urgency of our neighbour's need of God. We ask, seek, knock, often with little real enthusiasm or conviction or expectation, and too often asking, Seeking, going after the wrong things, things that don't ultimately satisfy, and are left ultimately disappointed. Leon Morris notes we mustn't play at prayer, but must show persistence if we don't receive the answer immediately. It's not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. The whole context makes it clear he is eager to give. But if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. It is not such tepid prayer that is answered. Jesus has told us, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his Son... His one and only Son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. And I came so you can have real and eternal life. More and better life than you ever dreamed of. Tom Wright comments, what counts is persistence. There are all sorts of ways in which God isn't like a sleepy friend, but Jesus is focusing on one point of comparison only. He is encouraging a kind of holy boldness, a sharp knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's what our prayers should be like. This isn't just a routine or formal praying Going through the motions is a daily or weekly task. There is a battle on, a fight with pearls of darkness, and those who have glimpsed the light are called to struggle in prayer for peace, for reconciliation, for wisdom, for a thousand things for the world and the church, perhaps a hundred or two for one's family, friends and neighbours, and perhaps a dozen or two for yourself. There are, of course, too many things to pray about. That's why it's important to be disciplined and regular. If you leave it to the whim of the moment, you'll never be a true intercessor, somebody through whose prayers God's love is poured out into the world. But because these things are urgent, important and complex, there has to be more to prayer than simply discipline and regularity. Formal prayers, including official liturgies for church services, are vital for most people for their spiritual health, but they are like the metal shell of a car. To be effective, it needs fuel for its engine, and to be effective, Prayers need energy too. In this case, the kind of dogged and even funny determination that you'd use with a sleepy friend, who you hope would help you out of a tight spot. Philip Yancey references a strange incident where Jacob, who had cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright and was consequently on the run wrestled all night with God in prayer. Jacob the Cheat walked cockily on two good legs. Israel limped into history as the father of nations. The real value of persistent prayer is not so much that we get what we want, as that we become the person we should, asking seeking, knocking, does have an effect on God, as Jesus insists, but it also has a lasting effect on the asker, seeker, knocker. Back in January, when Gordon sent out the topic for today, and I read Luke 11, to 13, and before reading any commentaries or anything else, The last verse, verse 13, jumped out at me. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is emphatic. This is a promise. This is a fact. As children of God, we receive the Holy Spirit as we ask, seek, knock, as we show willing to receive God's good gifts so we are changed. More and more we become like Jesus, and more and more heaven becomes reality on earth as we partner with God as he builds his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Paul assures us, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let us pray. Father God, you have given us your spirit you have adopted us into your family we have the great privilege of being your children loved beyond measure your son our savior died for each one of us Thank you, Father. And yet how slow we are to come in thanks. How slow we are to recognise our need. Pray, God, that you would pour out our spirit and that we would be open to the leading of your spirit and that we would go in the strength of that Spirit to proclaim in all areas of our life and work and who we come into contact with, that your name would be known and more and more people would ask and receive your Holy Spirit and come into your family. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.